So what we're going to start with today is uh, we're going to start with a questionnaire. Here we go. Question number one. How long have you been a Christian for? Question two. Now, some of the people I... Uh, I'm, I'm a registered counsellor and I'm doing a little bit of counselling with some adults at the moment. There's one lady in particular hates it when I ask her to rate things. Just hates it. And just most of the time won't even answer me. But I, I love ratings, all right? Because you just get a bit of a feel for where things are at. So zero to ten... How would you rate your walk with God at the moment? Let me set it up for you. Zero is as far away from God as I've, I've ever been. Ten is like, ten's not perfect. Ten's like I'm the closest, I'm equal to or better than the closest I've ever been to God at the moment. Does that make sense? So it's all relative to your own journey. So where would you rate yourself? Zero to ten. Okay, question three. This will take a little bit longer. What I want you to do is to write down three times of trouble or suffering that you've had since you've become a Christian that particularly stand out to you. It could be anything. It could be sickness, grief. Um, it could be something to do with your employment, uh, financial security. Uh, it could be people just giving you a really hard time. Maybe you got bullied or you just got teased or maybe even some, some of you have been a bit got a really hard time from people because you're a Christian or something and it really got to you. Just write down three times of trouble or suffering that stand out to you in your journey. And feel free, one of them could be now. You could be right in the middle of one right now. Now the next question, uh, just, I'm not looking for a, an essay on this next one either, just a, a quick I'll give you some categories to actually put it in. But uh, question number four is this one. What was God's role as you walked through those times? Now, um, some people when they go through suffering in very difficult times just push God right out of the picture. So you've kind of got, I'll talk a little bit more about this later, you've got this spectrum where people, God's not even in the picture, God's kind of in the picture but he's not that close and I'm happy not to keep him that close because if I bring him close... I've got to deal with the fact that some suffering and some trouble happened to me and it felt like he didn't do anything. But at the other end of the spectrum is God's my father and he's intimately involved with me and he cares about me. And yes, I've got some questions about why this thing happened to me, but yes, I also know that his help is there for me. So you tend to, most people tend to lie somewhere kind of on that spectrum in trouble and suffering. So the question really is, did, did you bring God close? Was God intimately involved in you working through your suffering or was he kind of separate from it? Does that make sense? So just, um, I mean, it might be different for each of those three times. So I'm happy for you just to pick on one and just say he was close, he was distant, I was angry with him. Uh, question five, it's a challenging one, but uh, I'll, I'll qualify it before you write an answer down because instantly you'll say never, but uh, I'll qualify it. Question five is this, when have you genuinely lived out the following verse? Matthew 10 verse 39, Jesus says, whoever finds his life he's really saying whoever's striving to keep their life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it okay now i'm happy with 10 minutes <laughs> all right just think back to a time in your life where you just go i was at that point in time i would have done anything for jesus and i actually did do some things that maybe i'm not doing today or maybe are doing today it was like like even just give me a 10 minute period where it's just like he could have asked me to do anything and i would have done it and you know you would have done it, just like for 10 minutes. Just see if you can pinpoint a time where you actually lived that out. Question six. 
pick what you can to be and just jot down when was the high water mark in your relationship with God when was that is it now like it could be now could be the high water mark and I suspect for a bunch of you now would be the high water mark probably statistically but there's probably you might look back on times in your life and go that was the high water mark that was when I was following God the most sincerely and passionately and I loved him the most question seven we've got 10 questions by the way as you would have noticed from the sheet what were you doing when you were doing well with God Now, behaviours don't win the day, but if someone's actually travelling well and they're walking closely with God, you will be able to notice things that they're doing that actually contribute to that. So can you just identify one or two things? Because the reason why I'm asking this is sometimes people can say, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm so close to God. And you just go, well, just have a look back at the last time that you can remember being really close to God. What were you doing? Oh, I was reading the Bible lots. I was going to church. I was part of a community group. I was maybe doing some fasting and not eating sometimes so I can actually pray and things are going, are you doing that now? Well, not really, okay? And it's just, there's just behaviours that you can notice about when people are doing well and when they're not doing well. So what were you doing when you were doing well? Eight, how difficult is your struggle at the moment, all right? If you're not going through a struggle, just don't even answer it. If you're going through something that's a little bit tough, How difficult is it? Really difficult? Not that difficult? Somewhere in the middle? Hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life? Where would you kind of put it on the scale? Nine. Why did you come to church today? Be brutally honest. Why did you come to church today? You know, the really encouraging thing about your past is this. It doesn't matter what happened to you. You know what? You're in church today, right? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I mean... How often do you have in your life, you just have these times where you just go, well, I'm just hanging by a thread. And somehow you just end up being where God wants you to be. And it's just, I've only got a thread. There's only one thread left, but I'm there. You know? And sometimes life's like that. Sometimes life's just like hanging by a thread, but you're still here. True? 10. Remember what it was like when you first became a Christian. Think back to that time. What would you have done for God when you first decided to start following him? I might just pray and then uh, we'll really, we'll get into it. Jesus, thank you so much that you're real, that you're here, that you speak, that you want us to listen, that you give us ears to listen. And uh, I just pray today for uh, everyone who loves you, that uh, you just speak to them. And I also pray for people who aren't following you, who don't love you. I pray that you would speak to them also and they'd realise today that you're real. I pray for all of us that we'd realise you're more real than what we think. And uh, you're more involved, you're more engaged in this world, you're doing more things than what we notice. Amen. Okay, now, God thinks it's a good thing to warn people and encourage people. And what we actually find in Hebrews is that the writer often, well, maybe often's not the right word, but what we actually find is that in Hebrews, the writer backs warning and encouragement hard up against each other if you go back to chapter six he did the same thing now some people here at church last week probably got a bit of a fright because of how i preached last week but that's just what the text was right and that's just the way that god works what god does is he thinks it's a good thing and it will keep you on track 
to hear a warning and to hear an encouragement. And often God's warnings and encouragements, if you read the Bible, come side by side. Okay? So you hear the warning and you take heed. Then you hear the encouragement and you run hard in that direction. All right? So today's kind of the encouragement because the writer of Hebrews uh, switches to encouragement. Last week I talked about fearing God. And one of the things we did just out of respect for uh, God speaking through the Bible is uh, we just stood up or we read the word. So we might do that again today. You happy to stand up with me? But recall the former days. You hear this? This is reflection. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, basically after you decided to start following Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. You notice that? Last week was like, be careful, you could get destroyed. This week he's saying, here's the encouragement, right? But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You may be seated. So the title of my message today is Enduring Certainty, which is hope, all right? Hope is everywhere. Now, in our life, we, we, uh, we live on wishful hope, but we also have a whole bunch of certain hopes. If you uh, scratch yourself, cut yourself, you have a hope, most of the time a certain hope, that it's actually going to heal and it's going to get better. If you have a headache, you take some Panadol, there's hope that Panadol is actually going to come and deal with the headache. Hope's everywhere. In fact, when people lose all hope, they don't want to live anymore. That's what tends to happen. A lot of times we can say, I hope this happens or I hope that happens. And that's kind of a wishful kind of a hope. The Bible doesn't talk about wishful hope. The Bible talks about concrete, this is actually going to happen hope. So the writer's wanting you and encouraging you to have enduring hope. But I didn't call it enduring hope because if I call it enduring hope, you're going to say enduring wishfulness. All right? It's not enduring wishfulness. It's enduring certainty. There's a certainty about what's actually going to happen. And I think there's three aspects in this passage about enduring certainty. Number one is this, suffering is a contest. Suffering is a contest. Real trouble reveals your real hope and tapping out of suffering is not who you are. Here we go. Let's get into it. Suffering is a contest. Hebrews 10.32 But recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. The actual, uh, the Greek that the English interpretation comes, comes from literally means you endured a great contest with sufferings. Have you noticed this? Suffering's a contest, isn't it? This, uh, this has got a, an athletic kind of metaphor to it. Right? That's kind of the, the idea behind the Greek word. And I kind of wanted to say suffering's a cage fight, right? But then I thought, well, that's not that cool, maybe for some people in church. It's like, do I want to get into a cage and duke it out? Well, here's the thing. Suffering's a bit like that, isn't it? And trouble's like that. 
Because, you know, suffering and trouble comes down to last man standing, doesn't it? Most of the time. Sometimes God gets people out of suffering and trouble, but a lot of the time, the last man standing is the last one to get up. And suffering and trouble is a bit like that sometimes, isn't it? Has anyone noticed that? It's like you just got to keep getting up. If you keep getting up, you win. All right? But it's like you're in this contest with suffering. And the question, I mean, it's almost like the writer of Hebrews is, is, is almost kind of half asking the question, who's, who's going to win? In this athletic contest between you and suffering, who's going to win? Is suffering going to get the better of you or are you going to win? Are you going to win out over suffering? And he actually goes on later in the, uh, in the book in Hebrews 12 and he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, this concept of suffering being a contest exists right there in this scripture in Hebrews 12, except it's Jesus in the contest. Do you see that? And who, who wins between Jesus and suffering? Tell me, who wins? Jesus wins, right? So the writer of Hebrews is going, look, this guy was in the contest and he won. You endure like he endured and you win too. And it's not rebuke, it's encouragement. It's like get in there and hang in and win it. All right? And some of you today are going through some difficult stuff in your lives. Maybe you've gone through some difficult stuff in your past, maybe years ago, and it keeps coming back to you like a bad curry, right? It just kind of keeps repeating on you all the time, okay? And you just, God would say to you today, he'd say, stay in the contest, keep getting up and win it win the contest. Now, is the contest going to be difficult? Absolutely. Is it going to be tiring? Absolutely. Are you, are you going to feel the canvas on your face? Probably. Are you going to not want to get up? Probably. But God would say, get up. And he's going to help you to get up. And he's going to help you to be the last one standing between trouble, suffering, and yourself. You see, we're not just in life and we're not just in suffering and trouble for the fun of it, right? It's, it's a brutal thing. It, it's a fight to the death. And one of the things I've often said to uh, leaders that I've been mentoring around the place is I just say, if you're in the First World War, right, and you've got enemy trench, your trench, who's the first person they're going to shoot at? Well, the first person they're going to shoot at is the first one up out of the trench, right? And it's kind of a bit like that. I mean... It's been phenomenal to me the number of um, people I've spoken to who give their lives to God or they really refresh and recommit themselves to God and then lots and lots and lots of trouble comes on them. It's like my life had just gone to hell. When I didn't follow after Jesus this hard, it was way better and it was way more peaceful. That's the devil, folks. All right, The devil used to be God's angel. He turned on the devil, wanted to make it all about him and... He just goes around trying to wreck things, all right? And there's no one who wants to wreck more than somebody who wants to follow Jesus, true? So he's gunning for you, right? Now, if you decide today, you just go, I'm going to go out this suffering and this trouble that's been happening. I'm going to get up off the canvas. I've been laying on the canvas. I'm up to the nine count out of 10, all right? I'm going to get up. Just be ready. He's probably going to come gunning for you because that's what he does. Some of the highest points spiritually that God's used me for I've had some of the lowest experiences within about 24 hours after it. And if you look in the Bible, you actually know that that happens to some of the greats 
of the, uh, the Christian faith. If you look at Elijah, you know, he has this massive, massive victory on Mount Carmel against these false prophets and within about 24 hours he wants to die. That's just kind of how it rolls, all right? So you better just brace yourself. It's like some of you, I mean, we haven't got time today, but I could get you up the front and say, ask you, when you became a Christian, tell me what happened in the three or four months after you became a Christian. Yeah, it was probably good for a little while, but after that, man, it just gets really, really difficult. Welcome to the spiritual world, right? The devil's just going to go gunning for you. And you better just keep getting up. He's going to bring some trouble. There's probably going to be some suffering. And there's, uh, there's nothing like a bit of suffering to separate people from God. It's the ultimate UFC fight, right? But the one who's still standing at the end is the winner. And the difficulty about suffering and trouble, it's a bit like I remember when I was a kid, you get in, the, your parents would take you for a drive in the car and if you'd never been there before, it felt like forever. But when you got in the car to come home, you kind of knew the way and it was way shorter on the way home than it was going there because you didn't know really where the end was going to be. True? And I think it's a bit like that with trouble and suffering because you don't know where the end's going to be. And to be honest, there's some trouble and some suffering probably for some people they're just going to have to carry until the end, until God comes and fixes everything up. But you know what? Even if you have to carry it that far, there's still going to be an end. He will still end it. He said he's going to wipe every tear away from every eye. That's what he said. There will be an end. And you don't, you don't want to get tricked into the lie that it's never going to end. I'm never going to get it. You're going to get out of it. You're going to get out of it. Maybe in this life... You've got to walk in it. And you've got to learn how to get some victory in the midst of it and live in it. At the end, it's all going to be gone. It will end. So what was their contest? This was their contest, 33 to 34. They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison check out this next bit, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. This is all past tense, right? This is what they did. This is not like, when someone comes and steals your house, be happy about it. He's saying, when someone stole your house and they stole all your stuff, you were, you were stoked about it. Now, Hebrews uh, 12 verse 4 tells us that at this point in time, the community that he's actually writing to, no one's actually lost their lives yet. But just have a look at that up there and just think about the possibilities of fear and anxiety that would come by being in that situation. Public mocking, ridicule. I mean, people... One of the common threads of people who uh, have their house broken into is it's like their sanctuary, the safe place on earth. And some of you have had this. The safe place on earth has been breached and there's no safe place anymore. Well, maybe that happened to them, but somehow in the midst of it, they were able to be happy about it. Really interesting. You'd expect to see a bunch of fear and anxiety, which wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing, I'll put it in inverted commas, but you would expect to see that, but you don't see what you would expect to see. So let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. 
of the early church. All right. Um, We'll start with Stephen. Stephen the disciple was executed in AD 33. He was stoned, not by marijuana, but by actual rocks. Um, then what we actually find in AD 43. So you imagine they're in the, you're in the church that the writer of Hebrews is writing to and this stuff's happening around you. Okay? They would know about this stuff. Now, no one in their church has lost their life yet because they love Jesus, but they'd know about this stuff. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in AD 43. James the Just was stoned in AD 62. Uh, Tacitus, the uh, Roman historian, uh, wrote about the indignities that were inflicted on Christians under Nero in AD 64. You can actually read, I think it's the annals of, uh, of Tacitus. He says this, Their death, the Christians, was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs or they were fastened to crosses and were set on fire in order to serve as torches by night when daylight failed. Now imagine, imagine being in a church and that stuff's happening to people in other churches around you and you just feel like, you know, it's a bit like that Far Side cartoon, you know, where it says bummer of a birthmark hell with that big target on the gut of the deer. It's like they're coming for us. They're coming for us. How are we going to go? Clement, one of the church fathers... Uh, wrote this he actually said that christian women were forced to enact the parts of dirk and the daughters of danaeus all right now all you need to know about that is uh is dirk let me just get this right dirk was uh, a lady that was tied to the horns of a bull and put to death by being tied to the horns of a bull so what Dirk was, was a, uh, a Greek mythological god. And, and so Clement says what the women were actually forced to do is to play parts of the Greek mythological gods. One of them was Dirk. The daughters of Danaeus, listen to this. There were 50 daughters of Danaeus in Greek mythology. Uh, they married 50 sons of Danaeus' twin brother. And they were instructed on, their, on the wedding night to slaughter all of their husbands, to kill them. So if the Christian women in the church are being forced to act out those roles, I mean, you can probably assume they're actually being forced to slaughter their husbands. All for a spectacle, because it's entertaining. Now, what, uh, what the author could be referring to, this is a, uh, a bust of uh, Claudius, the emperor, emperor Claudius, this will be a little bit small on the screen, but this may be what the authors are referring to. We're not 100% sure. But basically what happened was Claudius uh, put a whole bunch of restrictions on the Jewish colonies of which the, uh, the Christians were a part. And about eight years after he put these restrictions on, he, he came to the conclusion that they weren't actually achieving what he wanted them to uh, achieve. And uh, Roman historian Suetonius actually made this comment. He said, they were constantly indulging in riots at the inst- instigation of Crestus, all right? Basically, what Suetonius is saying is the Christians were causing trouble, all right? So, uh, Claudius basically said, we're going to kick them out. We're going to kick all the Christians out. We're going to kick all the Jews out. Everyone who's connected with Judaism is going to get kicked out, all right? Um, And basically, Suetonius is saying trouble came when the Christians came into the Jewish colony. So, what Claudius actually did is he actually expelled all of the Jews from Rome. And uh, we actually see some evidence for this in Acts 18 verse... 1 to 2, 
uh, where it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, listen to this, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So you've got a really neat fit between what Suetonius is saying about, uh, about Claudius and what the Bible's saying about Claudius. And we've actually got some characters in the Bible that actually got kicked out of Rome. Look at uh, what um, uh, Philo or Philo um, says. He was a Hellenistic uh, Jewish philosopher born about 20 BC. This is what he says about what actually happened when uh, the Jews were kicked out. Their enemies overran the houses, now left empty, and began to loot them, dividing up the contents like spoils of war. So this is like you go home today and they decide, and Toowoomba just decides everyone in Glenvale, we're kicking you out of Toowoomba, all right? And you've probably got soldiers and police that are actually coming to kick everyone out. On top of that, we don't like Glenvale lights, all right? It's all of a sudden there's some kind of Glenvale racism going on. Anyone here live in Glenvale? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so everyone in Glenvale has just decided we're kicking you out, right? You can go to Meringan down at... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going to kick you out somewhere else. You can go somewhere else. We don't want you in Toowoomba because you're causing trouble. So the soldiers and the police get round, they kick you out, and then everyone else from Toowoomba just goes, how cool is this? Let's just get their stuff, right? So you've got these mobs of people coming out of Toowoomba and going into your house and taking your stuff, everything, trashing what they don't want and stealing what they do want. How would you go with that? That'd be difficult, right? But there was something going on for the Christians here that they were able to do that joyfully. They were able to actually do that joyfully. The Christians that the writer of Hebrews is writing to shared in the attacks that came upon other people, the verbal, the scorn, the ridicule they shared in it, they would go and they'd actually visit them in, in jail. And if someone's on a witch hunt for Christians, there's no better way to find the rest of the Christians by finding out who's coming to visit a Christian in jail because they're probably one of them too. We're going to find them. We're going to take their house. I mean, someone who was in prison, generally if they didn't have their own means, they'd starve. So they needed other people to come in and actually feed them to, to stay alive and to stay healthy. And so the Christians are going and identifying themselves with these people. It's dangerous to identify yourself with someone who's under pressure. But these people themselves are under pressure, weren't they, with their house? I mean, imagine, even if you don't live in Glenvale, imagine tonight you get home and there's 50 people in a mob outside your house. And you go to call the cops and you can't get the cops, you can't get Tony Abbott, you can't get the army, all right? You can't get any one of the Marvel superheroes, all right? And it's just, it's the end of the section. They're going to trash your house. They're going to take everything in it and they're just going to beat the living daylights out of it. Because they found out that you're a Christian and you follow Jesus. And you know what I want to say to you today? You could handle that. That's what I want to say. And this is what, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You could actually handle that. There's enough help from God and there's enough hope in what he's got for you that you could actually handle that and you could be happy about it. 
I mean, sometimes you hear stuff like this and, and speakers, and I'm sure I've done it heaps of times before, they stand up and they go, oh, I don't know whether I could do that. If you had the right hope, this is what Hebrews is saying, if you had the right hope and you had the help from God, which you do, you can get, you can get those two in line, you could do this and you could be happy about it. Amen? You could. Now, I think a lot of times what actually happens is people go, oh, I don't know whether I could do that. And sometimes that reveals the fact that we're hoping in the wrong thing. We're hoping in and we're trusting in something that we've got instead of trusting in God. I'm just telling you, you can do it. Don't sit there and go, oh, I don't know whether I'd do that. God would give you all the help that you needed and he would help you to get your hope in line and you could do it. Get your hope in the right place, you could do it. If anything, we're probably not quite serious enough, right? When it comes to God and the hope that God's set out before us. If you don't think you could, then it may be that your hope is misplaced. But let me ask you today, before I move on to the hope thing a little bit more, what's the contest that you're in at the moment? What trouble are you in? What have others done to you? What have you done to yourself? Don't give up. You can do it. You get your hope right and you get your source of help right from God, you can do it. And you can do it with a sense of lightness. Now, suffering and trouble is always hard, but you can do it with a spring in your step, right? That's kind of what we see here is that there's suffering happening, they're doing it with a spring in their step. Point number two, real trouble reveals your real hope. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You hear that? Present tense. I've got something better than a house. I've got something better than being secure in a house. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great, what? Reward. You have a great reward. This is part of the secret about how they are able to handle it. Someone's come in, they're trashing their house, they're taking the stuff and they're going, I've got something better than this. Really? Are you just going to take my TV? It cost me a grand. But what I've got now in Christ and what I've got in the future is something far more valuable than a TV. Yeah, stock market can come in and steal all my savings. We're talking to a fellow the other day. I I think he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the stock market crash. Is that it? Is that all you can do? It's not even close. You see, you get your hope right and you get your perspective right and then when stuff happens, you just go, well, this is not as bad as I thought. No stock market crash is ever going to take away everything that a child of God owns in eternity. True? So I've got an amen for that. Is, is it, amen? You, it can't be taken away. So you've got to act like that, right? These guys are acting like they've got an inheritance. They've got a nest egg. It's just incomparable to what they've got here. It's like someone comes in. Oh, okay. Now, do we believe in people having rights to their property? Absolutely, right? That's absolutely. And do we think it's a good idea for people not to have their house stolen and plundered and all their stuff stolen? Yes, we do. All right, don't misquote me. But do you notice here that their hope was on a certain thing in the future 
and there's a bit of a play here where the, the author's going, don't put your hope, your certain hope, in uncertain things on this planet. Put your certain hope in things that will never, ever change and you'll be rock solid. And he actually noticed that they actually did this. Luke uh, 6, 22 to 23 is a section where Jesus speaks about this also. Uh, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and what? Okay, so you've got to be a Toyota ad, right? You're an idiot for being a Christian. You jump up in the air. That's the coolest thing I've heard. Why? Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's why. It's really... You think I would really care that much about what you think about me because I'm a Christian? You've you got no idea what I've got coming. I've got something so good coming. You don't have to worry about what... Seriously, you're a pipsqueak, right? God's like infinitely bigger than you and infinitely more loving. And my reward... You, look, you could count it for a thousand years and you'd never be able to count the value of it. It doesn't matter that much to me. In fact... And this is a weird thing. You don't want to turn into some kind of sicko, right? But in fact, you giving me trouble, it just adds more. It's like I heard a ching and another thousand dollars just went in my bank account because I stood there and I spoke the name of Jesus even when people thought I was dumb. True? Maybe I went to a Muslim country and I got killed for it. Ching, 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 ching. Right? True? Because God rewards those who die in his name because they're just telling other people about Jesus. One thing I noticed at school, this has happened to me a few times in my teaching career, and uh, every now and then you get a kid and you, you discipline them and you're ripping into them and their nervous response is to smile at you. Some of you might have children like that. It's like they smile and sometimes they even laugh a little bit or giggle a little bit while you're disciplining them. And of course you just get more angry and then they laugh more and smile more because they've got this nervous thing going on. It just gets messy. See, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. It's like, oh, you're going to take my stuff. We're going to... All right, we're having a party. Everyone over to, not my house, but someone else's because <laughs> mine's got... We're going to have a party because someone just stole my house. Come on, let's get it going. It's, it's kind of the complete reverse of the way that we think, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be. Sometimes I think, uh, I don't know whether you notice this, but when you're highly protective of things and you don't, it's, it's kind of, I feel a bit like this with money sometimes. You just go, I'm just going to be really defensive on, on my money and you can be really reluctant to be generous to the stuff that God wants you to be generous with. That's, that's kind of me anyway. But you know, once you lose a little bit, it doesn't matter whether you lose. With, you know, if you actually just start giving, if, sorry, it's not lose. If you give a little bit, you just kind of go, well, I might as well give this bit as well. You know, it's almost like once there's a crack in the door of the thing that you were hoping in, all of a sudden, once the door starts to open a little bit, you, you just, you start to go, oh, okay, well, God can just have it all then, you know, and it's not like you're grasping. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you just, that's kind of, the Hebrews just, that's, I think that's what's happened here. And sometimes it would be, maybe easier if we were getting a bit more of a hard time for being a Christian. I mean, if you look at um, just the sheer numbers coming out of China of people who actually follow, follow God and they get a really hard time for it, it's way higher than us. I think they reckon it's about 10%, right? And in China, 
Um, if you're a Christian, you're next on the line, right? So we're sitting around 4%, a bit nominal. Some of us probably, Chinese sitting around probably about 10 and they're next on the line, right? So in terms of purity of passion and devotion and commitment, it could well be that the Chinese have got us and they've over doubled the percentage of people that follow Jesus in China. You with me? Because a little bit of trouble restructures things and gets your hope right. And I wonder sometimes, uh, you know, I do think it's really important to uh, be salt and light and just be out there with people who don't know Jesus and let Jesus work through you. But (laughs) if you're just saying, I've got to build a relationship all the time and you never ever talk about Jesus, that becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, There's a classic quote mentioned the other day. Um, I can't remember the the church father it was from, but um, preached the gospel and didn't necessarily use words, right? Which I think is a good idea. It's really saying, live out Jesus in front of other people. Totally endorse it. Except your example is probably never going to be good enough for someone to put their trust in Jesus. So you know what? You need to use words. And some people are going to think you're dumb, right? Now, you can be dumb in the way you present something, and we don't encourage you to be dumb in the way you present it, but the Bible says that presenting Jesus is going to be dumb to a bunch of people, and you've just got to be, you've got to be happy with that, right? You've got to be happy with the fact that someone's people are going to look like they're sucked on a green lemon or something after you've told them, or they're just going to say, that's really dumb, or you're just one of those Christians, and you, got, you just have faith, you know, it's just a leap of faith, or you just need a crutch because you're not strong enough. You're just going to get some of that stuff, all right? Jesus says, you get some of that stuff, great is your reward in heaven. True? True? Be encouraged, right? You're not going to miss out, because that's the thing. You just go, oh, I'm missing out on some respect. You're not going to miss out, right? The reward's great. It's great. I mentioned this a week or two ago. God's going to take away your reproach. Everyone who made you look dumb and silly because you love Jesus, he's going to take that away. It's all going to be sorted out. You don't need to worry about it. In 1999, actually, I think it was back in the 70s, a, uh, a couple uh, uh, in uh, a man called Graham Staines went to uh, India. He was from Brisbane and he was a missionary in India, just telling people about Jesus. And um, he, um, he ended up getting married to a lady called Gladys and uh, they'd been missionaries in uh, India for a long time. In 1999, he came back. Uh, from, a, from one particular place he was either coming from or going to a church meeting and it was so cold they, um, him and his two sons I think it was 8 and 10 somewhere around that slept in the car because of how cold it was middle of the night a mob of about 30 guys came around with torches and uh, you know what they did is actually set the car alight while these uh, three were inside the car and anyone that came to actually help out got beaten back by the mob and this uh, father and his two sons died in the car. Now, that's a genuine case of difficult suffering. And I'm not saying that the church ought to be stoic and have emotions that don't accord with reality, right? You only have to read the book of the Psalms and you realise you've got a fully orbed human experience in there of grief and lament and trouble, but there's also hope in the midst of trouble but I want to show you a couple of quotes from uh, Gladys Staines 
She says this, The Lord God is always with me to guide me and help me to try to accomplish the work of Graham. But I sometimes wonder why Graham was killed and also what made his assassins to behave in such a brutal manner on the night of the 22nd, 23rd of January. That's a good question. She'd probably take that one to a grave, I'd think. It is far from my mind to punish the persons who were responsible for the death of my husband, Graham, and my two children, but it is my desire and hope that they would repent and would be reformed. Do you hear that? That's an incredibly brutal thing she's been through, but she just goes, the thing that I really want is I want these guys that burnt my sons and my husband to death in a car, I want them to turn around and to follow Jesus. She says this, In forgiveness there is no bitterness, and when there is no bitterness there is hope. This consolation comes from Jesus Christ. Christ, she said, gave her the strength to continue living. I live in the hope that whenever God calls me home, I'll see God, but also be reunited with my family. You see that note of hope? She's going, one day this is all going to be over, and I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep telling people in India about Jesus, because they need to hear about Jesus. So how good's it going to be? Well, Johnny Erickson uh, is about 65-ish now, and um, 64 years old actually, and she became a quadriplegic in six, at 16 years of age by diving into a lake. And she's actually said she wouldn't have it any other way. If she had the option of being healed, she wouldn't take it because of everything that God's done in her in her life through the suffering and the trouble. Here's what she says. Earth can't keep its promises, but aren't you glad heaven does? Randy Alcorn, a, uh, a guy who uh, had spent 25 years researching heaven in the Bible, makes, uh, it has got these comments on the inside of uh, the front cover of his book. Heaven is a bright, vibrant and physical new earth, free from sin, suffering and death and brimming with Christ's presence. Wondrous natural beauty and the riches of human culture as God intended it. Real bodies enjoying close relationships with God and each other. Eating, drinking, working, playing, travelling, worshipping and discovering on a new earth. Earth as God created it to be. Earth as he intended it to be. That's what you've got to look forward to. Last one, last point, then we'll finish. Tapping out is not your identity. Does anyone know what a tap out is? What's a tap out? Sweet. Absolutely, that's what it is. So it's like a, an MMA, mixed martial arts, or UFC kind of thing. When you tap out, it's kind of a submission line. You can either say it verbally or you can kind of tap and everyone knows you're giving in. All right? Here's what I want you to know. And here's what the writer of Hebrews wants you to know. Tapping out's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're not someone who taps out. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't be that guy that taps out. Be the guy that doesn't tap out because you are the person that doesn't tap out. That's what God made you to be. Identity is such a critical thing when it comes to living out your life. You see, I could say something like this, and this is a case I'm sure uh, people are in the, have been or are in the armed forces would know this. It's like, we don't do this. The Australian Army does not do this. We hang in. We do this. 
there's lots and lots of statements. Any kind of group that's got a really strong cultural identity, they're actually all the time reinforcing, this is not our identity. We don't do that. This is what we do. We've just done some staff training at the school here this week in service. And a lot of that is, this is what we do at this school. When we have this issue, this is what we do. This is how we handle things. This is our identity. And this is what the writer of Hebrews wants you to know. If you're a Christian, you're not someone who taps out. You're just not. It's not like he's, not like he's saying, don't tap out. He's saying, you won't. That's your identity. Your identity is not to give in. Your identity is not to give in to suffering and to trouble. You see, we live often in a state of identity confusion. You'll actually notice uh, across the Bible, there's little bits every now and then that talk about the fact, talk about people's identity and that people live out of their identity. So let me give you a quick one first. Oh, no, nah, don't have time. Check this out. This is Second Peter. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note the next line. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten, right? That he was cleansed, from his former sins. Do you see that? He's just made an identity connection. The way that someone's live is connected to who they think they are. So let me ask you this. Who are you? Now don't say your name because your name's not who you are. Look, what's your essence? What's your identity? I encourage you this afternoon, if you can, if you can grab five or ten minutes, sit down and have a reflective moment and just put as many dot points as you can down about who you are. And then... Cross off everyone that has to do with something that you do. See if you can get down. What, what is your core identity? Because you live out of your identity all the time. You act in line with what you think your identity is. I was talking to a, um, a friend of mine who's a pommy. There's no better time to be an Australian and have a pommy friend than at the moment, right? It's just gold. It's just so good. So I was having this chat with him, right? And um, I just said to him, uh, I said, man, it must be a hard time being a pommy at the moment. And uh, we just talked a bit about, because he loves the cricket. One of his kids plays cricket. Uh, and if you don't know, if you're not attuned to that, the pommies are basically getting whopped, all right? Um, and the Australians are crying because I reckon some of them have gone back because they just can't handle the pace anymore, so they've had to go back to England. We got to this interesting point where he said to me, he goes, he goes, there's an interesting thing about Australian culture, you know. He said, Australians like a winner. When they don't get a winner, Australians lose interest. And that's true. I reckon you can see that. Australian, they just lose interest. They don't turn on their team. They just stop following him. When was the last time you saw a swimming meet on TV? Now, a few years ago, and Dave was telling me, raised this yesterday, a few years ago, man, we had swimming meets all over the TV. Why? Because we had lots of good swimmers that were winning. And now we just lose a bit of interest. I mean, the Wallabies, the Australian Rugby Union team's a little bit the same. They've kind of been losing lots of stuff for the last two or three years. And people just not that interested. Australians like a winner. I said to him this. I said, you know what? I said, what are pommies like? 
He goes, fiercely loyal, mate. He said, even when we're getting whopped, fiercely loyal. And just keep following him and supporting him right till the end. Don't be fickle and only follow Christ when it's easy. More than that, the writer of Hebrews says, you won't follow Christ only when it's easy if you're one of his. That's not who you are. You're not someone who just follows when it's easy. You're someone who follows when it's tough too. And you keep going. We don't shrink back. I can say this. Projectiles don't shrink back, right? But the project, you're not being called to have an allegiance to the project. You're called to have an allegiance to Christ and be with a community at the project. So it would never be right to say projectiles don't shrink back. It would say followers of Jesus never shrink back. And like we could get up, I mean it would be weird, but we could get up and have a rah-rah, couldn't we? At this point in time, I could say, do you shrink back? No, we don't shrink back. That's not us. We don't do that. That's the other guy. And it's not necessarily a statement of fact. It's a statement of identity. I don't give in. You see those guys over there that give in sometimes? I'm not the same as them. I've been made someone different because someone who follows Jesus doesn't give in. And our community needs to see people who don't give in. Amen? They do. Don't give in. They have a hope that's different to everyone else. They need to see people who could have their house trashed and plundered and then be happy about it. True? Because that doesn't make sense to anyone else except for Christians. Because they're the only ones getting the reward at the end. And if you're not a Christian today, I'd say start following Jesus or you're going to miss out on the reward. It's a good reward. And he'll give you help so that you could have some of the most brutal things happen to you and you could do it with a spring in your step. I'm going to show you a quick clip and then I'm done. That's for a couple of minutes. Let me ask you a few questions. And you can answer, no, I'm not. If this is true of you, are you someone who gives up? Come on, with conviction, right? I'm not asking, hear me, I'm not asking a reality, realist question. I'm asking an identity question, right? Are you someone who gives up? Come on, more than that. Are you someone who gives up? Are you someone who gives in to temptation? Are you someone who's got a reward? True? You see, you've got to live in your identity, Right? You've got to be careful. Yes, everyone sins. Yes, everyone's got issues, right? But when I asked you, are you someone who gives in? Some of you are going, yes, I am. And you can just trick yourself a bit and just go, that's my true identity is that I'm a sinner and I give in all the time. That's not your true identity. Your true identity is that you don't give up. Your true identity is when the suffering and the trouble comes upon you, you don't give up. And you get people around you to help you to not give up. And you come to church and you hear God and God talks to you and he says things to you and he gives you strength by the Holy Spirit. You don't give up. I'm not someone who gives up. Say that. I'm not someone who gives up. As loud as me, I'm not someone who gives up. Okay, so don't give up. That's your identity. That's what God made you to be. Someone who doesn't shrink back, someone who doesn't give up, but they make it to the end and they get the reward. Amen? Amen. That's what it is. And you've got to live in that. You've got to live in that this week. When it gets brutal on Tuesday or Wednesday, you live in it, right? This is not my identity to give up. This is not my identity to give in to temptation. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I've got a reward. 
And I'm not giving up because that reward's good. And I'm going to have hope when it looks hopeless. Amen? It's going to be hopeless. You're going to have times in your life where you feel hopeless. I'm not going to give up hope because it's never, ever, ever, ever hopeless. Ever. Ever. True? Ever. Because God's always there and he's always doing something and is a caring father. He's not a deistic God that's separate and he winds the world up like a clock, but he's involved in the details and he's with me now, right now. Right now and whatever it is today, right now he's right there with me and he's helping me. And you may not think he's helping you, but he is helping you. You just don't see it because he always helps his kids. He always helps his kids. And you could do it. You could go home this afternoon and someone could trash your house and they could steal all your stuff and you could accept it joyfully. Amen? You could do it because you're one of his. And his kids do that. That's what they do. And he helps them to do that because they've got a better reward. I want you to stand with me and I'll pray. I'd have rant and rave then. Come on. This is encouraging, right? This is encouraging. Jesus, thank you so much for everything you've done. Thanks that we don't have to give up because you never got up and you're gonna, you, you never gave up and you're going to make us like you. And God, I think it's probably true that maybe we're more like you than what we actually think. And God, I pray for anyone here who's got a, an identity crisis or confusion that you'd resolve that, that they would know who they are, that they're yours, they're your son, they're your daughter. You, you tenderly care for. And Jesus, if you're able to go through the worst suffering and trouble that any human's ever gone through and you promise to help us, well, we can go through some hard stuff too. And it's easy to go through hard stuff when we're not in it because hard stuff's hard. But the hope is always better. The reward is good. The reward, we can't fathom. We can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. But it's a good reward. And so, God, we look forward to the reward. ask your blessing upon everyone here today. God, I pray that you just help them to live in their correct identity, not in confusion, their correct identity. And, God, when things come up this week, maybe temptations come, they just say, no, that's not me. I'm not into that. I'm not into retaliation retribution i'm not into punishing someone because they didn't do what i like that's not me i'm a child of god they don't do that i'm not doing that gotta pray that you just help us to just get that straight that's your blessing on them all god i pray you encourage them just encourage them amen